Cherokee community. Wah, 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 okay. Yeah. Yeah. Can we get a, can we get a <laughs> siren? You should have brought your fucking button. Please believe it's on my phone. Oh, my brother has that app on his phone. Where you he has a button, bow, 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 too. Bow. He was supposed to bring it. Unable to install rap horn. What the f- <laughs> 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 That is the intro to your blooper reel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would be amazing. Wait, what is it? The Cherokee? What's going on, everybody? You got Javen and Anna here, and you are listening to STL by Design, live. And if you're joining us for the first time, we are president and vice president of AIJ St. Louis, and our intent with this show is to highlight any efforts at the intersection of creativity and positive impact. Oh, I'm going again? Okay. (laughs) This week, we're talking with Kaveh Razani, He's a CAT alum, and if you don't know what the CAT program is, it's something that's organized by the Regional Arts Commission, which you can listen to our episode on if you want to learn more. Yep. I don't remember what episode it is, but I'm sure you can find it. Third season. Sure. He's also a member of the Cherokee, he's also a board member of the Cherokee Street Community Improvement District, and the founder and owner of where we are right now, which is Blank Space on Cherokee Street. Thank you. <laughs> so what's going on, everybody? Hi. Sorry, I always the laugh uh, at that we have banter in Sue's Yeah, we still do. <laughs> That's so funny. We, I mean, it's, it's a light intro, you know? Something I, I should have looked at the script. Uh, I didn't send it. Yeah, we just send the questions. <laughs> we just send the questions. We don't want you to know. Where the banter track is? <laughs> you just have to be prepared to banter whenever we want. I'm so ready. How are how are Kabe and Anna doing this evening? Fantastic. Doing okay. Oh. <laughs> I'm tired. Uh, probably that shot you just took. It's oh, pro- no. that didn't help, but that's fine. Um, design show just happened. I haven't recovered. Mm. Probably a month. A whole month. Christmas. I got some stuff. I got yeah, that's going to need recovery of its own. Yeah. That so yeah, this is the problem with event, event week or event month, event season. Really, same here. It's just you have all these events and then you think you're going to have a break because there's holiday breaks, but really it's then you have to deal with family. So, mm, is yeah. it a break? No. No. It's never exactly. A break. So the dead anyway, of winter is your break. Yeah, that's where I am. The dead of winter isn't even a break. Just to survive. And then you're just cold all the time. Yeah, that's the worst. Water I actually don't mind it. I'd rather be cold than hot. I agree with that. I disagree. But that's okay. That's, that's okay. That's okay. We're all that's okay. Okay. <laughs> we can that's Y'all something we can be quick as shit. It's, <laughs> it's <laughs> We're like, excuse okay. you. <laughs> so uh how about you tell us about yourself? Where are you from? Creative background. How'd you get here? Wow, big question to start. Um, That's how we do it. Yeah. Um, well, I've been in St. Louis since 97. Um, that's middle school to date myself. Um, I guess I can sardonically say now that I came against my will, but I'm happy that I did. Um, and uh, my upbringing was fairly normal and uneventful, I guess you can say. Um, 
I'm a college dropout multiple times over. Um, and I am a community organizer originally. I come from a family uh, of community organizers. And upon quitting school, I started working in the service industry like so many. And I had a patron at Kayak's Coffee where I was working in 2004. Yeah. Tell me that, hey, the skill set for community organizing isn't all that different from the skill set for promoting and doing arts organizing. I said, is that so? And he said, yes. Meet my roommate, DJ Uptown. And I started doing hip hop shows as a promoter at uh, the space formerly known as 609. Mm. Uh, for those of you young folk, uh, it is where United Provisions currently stands. Mm -hmm. There used to be numerous buildings on that corner and, uh, and where Mission Taco currently is used to be Delmar Lounge, RIP. Um, and I started off by doing shows as a music promoter and I did that for years and um, worked in community organizing and I took a job at a nonprofit and they asked me to organize their annual arts benefit type of event and sent me through the Community Arts Training Institute um, in order to better skill me up for that. And uh, that was I believe 2006 into 2007. Uh, and Kat, frankly, changed my whole life trajectory. Um, I began to take arts-based community development very seriously. Uh, I started to look at what I was doing in the art and music world through the lens of community arts rather than just promotion as a show. Um, and I guess Blank Space at the time when we opened in 2012 was sort of the culmination of all the different experiences I had in that, in that field uh, leading up to then. You know, I very much saw this space as the intersection of all of my life experiences at the time. So it's a little micro history. Get me to tell some stories later, maybe. <laughs> maybe so. Sorry, I was making sure that we were recording. <coughs> so I'm, I am not prepared with the next question. <laughs> Don't you got the thing right I mean there? I have it, but I can pull well mine up. I was going to say, well, <laughs> I, was gonna say like, I don't have a good... You have questions for us? Uh, maybe. Probably. So what exactly is Blank Space? Or what, what was it originally in your head? And then what is it kind of... How has it evolved from that? I guess is a better question. Yeah, that's a good one. I, um, there, there was no plan. It wasn't ever a thing in my head. It was always a thing in practice, first and foremost. Um, so as I mentioned, I was doing shows for a long time. In about 2009, I moved out of St. Louis. Um, for folks who've lived here for a long time, I think it's not hard to imagine the sort of burnout that comes with fighting the perpetual uphill battle that this town can be at times. Um, and ironically, I had always been the person to drag people back here, keep people here, encourage folks to stay, you know, deepen your relationship with your neighbors and your community, bring, bring what St. Louis lacks in your eyes through your action to this place. And by 2009, I think I had, I, I had 
found myself unable to continue being that sort of cheerleader. So I left with no real plans but to travel across Europe for a while visiting family that had sort of spread out in the post-Iranian Revolution diaspora and then moved to New York and either try to go to school or try to get a job or both or whatever, what have you. Uh, long story short, it did not go well, like many like many stories end uh, with that fair city. And I came back in 2010, I believe, and was sort of determined to just put my head down, do the college thing. My parents are both PhDs, so when I, when I told them I was dropping out of school, it was sort of life-shattering for all of us. Right. Um, and until then, they had still constantly been in my ear about, hey, do this thing, do this thing, do this thing. And I said, okay. So I enrolled at community college at Forest Park, um, got myself a little Pell Grant to pay for my little classes, and was doing the thing for a few months. Um, and somewhere... Somewhere in the summer prior or in, the f in that fall, I can't exactly remember when, um, I went to 2720 for the first time. It must have been very early on because I recall a couple years ago it was their 10-year anniversary. So um, it was very early on in 2720's lifespan. And I saw 18 and Counting perform. I think it was his first DJ gig, actually. I think it was his first DJ gig. And he'd been a you know graphic and visual artist until then. And... He and I struck up a cool conversation, and then the next day, I found myself at the Regional Arts Commission, where the Screwed Arts Collective was installing their uh, second iteration of their Screwed In show, which was, you know, they, they put essentially Luan panels all across the entire gallery, screwed all these panels in, and then for two weeks just painted all of them. They're maybe 10, 10 individual artists in that collective and they, they were just going to town. And I remember Stan and I had this conversation about how St. Louis has such a density of artists and designers and producers, but oftentimes, especially folks in our social circle, we're fighting for the same 200, 500 patrons to come to the same things over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And what would it take for us to deepen that patron base? And I'll never forget that conversation. It was such a huge part of how I shifted gears again. And in talking with Stan, um, we said, well, why don't we do something? Like, let's, let's do an event that's accessible. Let's, let's start a series of events or something that's accessible. And we decided on 2720. And uh, <laughs> funny story. I dropped out of school, pulled all the money in my student financial account out, uh, and we did a show called Financial Aid. Very tongue-in-cheek, but also on the nose. <laughs> and the theme of the show was the commodification of different aspects of our culture. And so uh, I want to say it was September 26, 2010 was the first thing that I did after a couple years off. And for about a year and a half or two, Stan and myself and Black Spade, if you all don't know Black Spade, look him up. Um, and Ryan Powell, who's a videographer who was stolen away from us by New York City, mm -hmm. um, did a series of shows. We did a weekly at Upstairs Lounge, RIP2. And, um, and that was our plan. Do stuff that was rich, interesting, 
uh, unseen, uh, thoughtful. And after two years of that, um, I was walking a f with a friend down Cherokee Street who was looking for an apartment. And I happened to know the landlord that was showing him those apartments. And I said, well, let me walk with you so he sees a friendly face. And I believe we were walking from maybe Iowa or Ohio down to the corner here on Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And we were on the other, we were on the south side of the street. We walked right past this building and the landlord said to my friend, well, uh, well how about a whole commercial building? That would be interesting, huh? And my friend sort of laughed it off and I said, well, why don't we go look at that? Sure, why not? And so we walked in, we looked around and I was beside myself. It was a sunny day, the light was shining through the window. This space, as those of you here can see, uh, very inviting and beautiful and warm. And the energy that was already here, little did I know, members of the Screwed Arts Collective used to live here, um, was just very palpable. So we continued on after looking through the building, but you know, I talked to my mom, I talked to my partner at the time, I talked to some friends, I, I looked at the price tag on the rent and I was just sort of like, well, I just got back from New York not long ago. This number is not that far off of what I might pay in rent for a residence. So right. oh what wow. would it take to keep this space open? Um, and I couldn't help but pull the trigger. I signed a lease. And um, at that time, I was still working at Subterranean. I remember my last shift of working for anybody else but myself was December 23rd, 2011. It was my last shift at Subterranean Books. Hi, Kelly. Um, <laughs> And a couple months prior to that, um, Subterranean had announced that they were going out of business. And you know, until then, the, the financial hardship of that business was not sort of public knowledge, but the moment that it became public that this bookstore in the loop was going to close, there was such a rallying cry and there was such a huge response from the community, from neighbors, from folks that care about you know, bookstores and that kind of thing that it ended up not going out of business, totally unexpectedly. Oh, Just, wow. Yeah. The, the I don't think I knew that. Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. And so that experience, having worked there through that, was just sort of like, well, what is the relationship between a business and the neighborhood that it is in? You know, we are so subconsciously used to sort of free market parameters and, and conditions guiding how businesses come into formation and go out of formation and it was just really interesting to me to see that here's a business that, you know, it's a bookstore, obviously, it's one of those arguably, like, objectively good things, right? Like, there's right. no moral argument about whether a bookstore should exist necessarily. Yeah. But here was the support that came out. Like, neighbors said to themselves and to each other, we can't let this go out of business. And it was interesting to me that that process isn't often built into any sort of ethos of business development. You know, there is no... Uh, hard requirement or soft requirement for a, you know a future entrepreneur to say to themselves, well, let me see what my what this neighborhood wants. So I rented this building on a whim, but I also was very determined not to be sort of colonialist in nature or paternalistic in nature. And so, for the first three months of signing the lease, I actually moved into this space with two of uh, Stan eighteen and counting's college best friends, and it was a. Uh, those stories will probably have to come at a different time. But, um, <laughs> uh, it was a ridiculous three months. Um, but after three months, we held an open house. And we had a little half-sheet survey for everyone that walked in. We didn't announce it. We just sort of opened the doors one day and just were like, come on in. 
um, had some catering, had some friends really come out of the woodwork to help produce that, that open house. But the survey said, what should we name the place? What should we do here? And then the third question was, tell us a funny story. And so we collected hundreds, maybe, of these little surveys. And the result of those surveys is what you see around you. Um, you know, I, I'm very passionate about being directed by the community that we're in and having an inherent uh, uh, genetic connection to the place that we are in. So mm -hmm. uh, very befittingly, the name became Blank Space as one of those survey results. And, um, and yeah, uh, we sort of started asking folks what they wanted to do here, letting them do it here. And, and as the needs arose for different aspects, a liquor license and a sound system and a bar and all this kind of stuff, it just sort of happened organically. And, and that is sort of our origin story, yeah. Has it, has it lived up to what you expected it to be over the years? You know, I think, so, so the interesting thing is that when, when Stan and Ryan and Black Spade, whose name is Vito, and I, coming out of that experience of a couple years of doing shows together, Vito and I kind of knew we wanted to, we wanted our future to um, uh, have sort of this like, we wanted to start a record label, let me just put it that way. Mm -hmm. We wanted to start a record label, we were really into the music, we were really into like who we were meeting and experiencing around the street, or around the city rather. And so essentially, uh, at first Blank Space was sort of this like, well, we're doing all these shows in other people's venues, let's find a place where we can start a venue and do our own shows. Um, and it, it took an immediate 90 degree turn. Um, this became a, a social enterprise in every aspect of the word and so uh, so no, I mean, I think from day one, it, it, it deviated from my expectations. Um, you know, and then when you start a space with, with sort of the intention of letting your community um, guide what happens here, you sort of accept that there are no expectations. And for, for better and worse, I mean, I, I kind of like, in my first few brash years of doing this space was very like braggadocious about the fact that we didn't have a business plan. We didn't know the F we were doing, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it, this was just sort of like, tell us what to do and we'll make all the mistakes and figure it out and as we go. And, and we, we very much did that. I, 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 I would be interested to see if there were, was a law we didn't break or rule we didn't bend <laughs> in, in coming into now being fully legal for the record, let the record state. Um, so no, I, d I don't think it was ever anything that was expected. And I mean, almost eight years later, uh, there are still unexpected things that happen here. Word. Word. I'm not gonna say it, it felt stupid in my head. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in the confidence, Anna. Yeah, it is. It's okay, I'm working on it, you know? I think it's cool, it's just kind of a space that evolved and became what it needed to be. Yeah. Through through whatever the community wanted out of it, so I don't know. That's that's kind of cool to me. Like that's something that's unique about it is that it was never like a defined. Even when you started, it was just kind of what it needed to be, and it wasn't like this is what we're going to be, and mm -hmm. we want input. But it was even more open than that. So I kind of like that model of we'll see. Like what what does the community actually want out of this space? Mm -hmm. building it as it goes and as demand increases for different things. 
Yeah, I don't know if I could recommend that as sort of like par for the course. It sounds really nerve-wracking and all, uh, like an experience. You know, I haven't slept <laughs> well in eight years. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, no, it, it absolutely is. And especially in those earlier years when, when we sort of realized that you know, we didn't have the capacity to do everything by the book the way the book wanted us to. And, um, you know, it's not easy. You know, it, what's hard about, about systems is that there are times when you feel deep in your bones that you're doing the right thing and the system tells you otherwise. And what you have to decide in that moment is what you're willing to put on the line to do what you care about and do what you believe in and to push the system into a direction that it needs to change and adapt and evolve. And, and I feel like, and, and I don't mean, I mean there, are a lot of, there are a lot of people that unfortunately were, you know, collateral damageified <laughs> by this space <laughs> becoming what it is. You know, m myself included, my family included, you know, loved ones, you know, friendships lost over time. And, and I think that's where um, folks get the least recognition. What does it take to do something in the real world, but to do it the way that you think it should be done when that is contrary to the system that exists? And I'm not trying to say that anybody was like overtly resisting our existence per se, but I think a lot of what systems are is what's, is, is sort of like something, it's like an amalgamation of what's easy, what's comfortable, what, what is for the privileged few per se, you know, and for us, it was like a real eye-opening experience, pushing against systems that didn't work for us, but realizing that there wasn't really anything holding those systems in place overtly except precedent or history or the dust that settles over unchanged things. You know, so, so it became an opportunity for us to continue to push the envelope, not only culturally, but, but just in all the places where we felt like we were doing something different. You know, we heard time and again that there wasn't necessarily precedent for a bookstore bar or, a, you know, an art gallery in a venue, you know, that sold, you know, objects. You know, it was just all this, like, weird stuff. You know, I remember the, the, the first year that we were official, you know, I feel like we had, like, six business licenses. And it was like, <laughs> we don't make money here, but we're paying for six different business licenses. Yeah. What's the right. point of that? Like, why does that exist that way? So, yeah, I, I want to shout out everybody that feels that they're being ground to dust in the midst of systems that don't work for them because whether you persevere or not, challenging that and taking that challenge on is, uh, is mad heroic. Cheers. Word. Word. So in the, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, <gonna say laughs> I'm not doing it. I'm never going to say it. No, I'm not. It's the principle of the thing now. So in the midst of this, this process, uh, the, the ebb and flow and successes and woes of blank space, how has Cherokee kind of, how has Cherokee been, put simply? Uh, how is, has it grown? Has it changed for the better or worse? I'm actually kind of curious, were you involved in Cherokee before blank space or was Cherokee That's something after blank space? Um, chicken or I the was egg? present. I was <laughs> present. I, I mean, involved is a very interesting question. I think, um, I guess I could take a little bit of ownership of being involved. Yeah, I mean, we did shows here. We galvanized the neighborhood. We brought folks down here that weren't here before. We worked with the folks that were here before us. And, 
Yeah, so it was a couple years before I opened Blank Space. It w you know, m maybe a year and a half or a little bit more than that that, that I was down here before that. Um, you know, I think Cherokee is, is for those of us, wh what generation are we? Millennials? I believe we are all millennials. Gen what letter is that? I think y? Gen Y? Is it 82? 82. All right, 81 I'm, I'm or 82 right, is the... 80s onward, whatever. Basically. Yeah. You know, I think Cherokee was that place where when I was like younger and, and going through middle and high school, it was like, oh shit, there are, there are new Mexican restaurants going in there. You can catch the Mega Bus to Chicago for a dollar. What's up with that? Let's go down there. Right. And um, But it was out of the way from where I lived, and I kind of bounced around a lot for a little while. And, and you know, once I settled... Um, I didn't. I wasn't going coming down here, um, at the time where a lot of what where when a lot of other people were, and I think that's important to note. Uh, there, it's really hard to track specifically, um, you know, the different historical iterations of like activity, if you will, mm -hmm. on Cherokee Street. But um, when I started coming down here, it was still like the art punk kids and you know folks squatting in unoccupiable buildings and you know people doing stuff under and around the radar and um, you know I think a lot of the Lat Latinx businesses had sort of established themselves and, and, and created you know this sort of uh, focal point in their community and, and as it happens in lots of cities you know different ethnic groups that, that concentrate themselves in geographic places tend to be those focal points oftentimes and so um, that very much was the case um, you know, the business that was in this building before we were, was shut down not long before we took over this space by the city for whatever violations um, there were, and you know, probably not something worth shutting the business down over necessarily in my opinion, but, um, but so for me, in, in, a we in this weird way, Blank Space was, it came about right when the tide was turning on attention being um, um, drawn to Cherokee from, you know, citywide attention, I guess. Uh, both, you know, from folks wanting to come down here, but also from, like, oversight people, you know. Yeah. City Hall, police department, that kind of thing. And so um, there used to be more print shops. There used to be more art galleries. There mm -hmm. used to be more DIY spaces. There used right. to be more... Um, yeah, extra legal places where <laughs> you can have a really fantastic time, and yeah, and you know, I'm I'm pretty partial to that type of vibe. Um, you know, I think not only my cultural sensibility, but my my socio political sensibility lends itself more to to the whole like ask for forgiveness mentality, um, and so you know, they really ran us through the ringer with blank space. I mean, and not, not that the letter of the law shouldn't dictate that very thing, but um, you know, there were folks before us who got away with a lot more than we did, and there were folks after us who got away with less than we did. And so there was a certain tide change, I think, from the whole DIY um, existential identity of Cherokee Street then to what it is now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it has changed. I, I think there are a lot more commercial spaces. There are more restaurants. There's certainly more nightlife and more bars. Uh, I had a bet with Sam Coffey, who was one of the founders of Fortune Teller Bar, about which one of us would get our liquor license first. And I think <laughs> at the time, only 
Casaloma, 2720, and Foam had their liquor licenses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, I think I still owe him a bottle of Jameson, actually. <laughs> <laughs> if you hear this, I haven't forgotten. Um, and so, so yeah, I think uh, it, the focus shifted, but, but it's hard because, you know, like, there's so many different variables that, that, you know, if you want to look at stuff from an urban planning or a creative placemaking point of view that, like, make up these, like, places that, that last. And, you know, Cherokee has had some combination of some of those variables, but never all of them all at once, I think. And um, not that that's a bad thing, not that there's any specific value in making it based on those metrics, but I think, um, I think from a, a financial sustainability point of view, uh, you know, we're all still struggling, but I think that there is no doubt that we are on the cultural cutting edge of what happens in the city. Uh, and that piece of it hasn't been lost over time. Right. So I was in high school and then I graduated in like 2011 and then I left, got the hell out of St. Louis. Uh, and I went to Minneapolis, and then I came back in 2015-ish, and I felt like Cherokee was a completely different place. From before you left? From before I left. Just the four years, four and a half years before I left. And part of it was because I was not, like, I mean, I couldn't drink. So So that limits a little bit of my my cultural exposure to St. Louis. But I felt like when I came back, Cherokee, The Grove, a lot of these places, even Maplewood, really, had started to become something. Mm. That was, like, weird to, like, step away from a city and then come back four years later and everything was just a little bit, a little bit different than when I had left and kind of felt like a new city in some ways. Hmm. What's that something? I'm curious. I'm going to ask you a question. It just, yeah. It what just was the something that was different? It just felt more active. It felt active. M- it yeah. felt more like there was, there was some, like, I think the Grove and Cherokee and, and again, even Maplewood, those are the three that I remember thinking, like, what, like, I don't remember these being a thing. I don't remember, it's like the Grove, like Webster Grove, like, that doesn't <laughs> seem right. That doesn't seem like the... What I what people are talking about, you know, or like people would say like, oh, have you been down to Cherokee? I'm like, you mean like Antique Row, or is there something else? Hmm. So part of it was probably just where I went when I was in high school, but part of it I think was a little bit of the development of all of those areas and like kind of growing. But I wasn't in the city, so I don't know. I don't right. know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> there's a big there's a four and a half year gap in my memory, and so it was right. kind of cool to come back though and feel like all of these places were suddenly a lot more active and vibrant and there was like more stuff to do and more like arts and like, I mean, mostly yeah. arts to come back to and, and be involved yeah. in. And that was exciting for me because I felt like it was almost a new city in a way with some familiarity, but again, and again, the, the being over 21, I think, helps. Yeah, There's right. a different culture in St. Louis once you can drink. But we are that which type of city, for sure. Yeah. We are, for sure. Mm-hmm. So that, that changed a lot, too, I think, but even without that. I've got a four-and-a-half-year gap in my memory, but it's probably because I was going too hard doing what I'm doing now <laughs> during <laughs> that century. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was right when I was in the thick of my stag haze on Street, <laughs> you know what I mean? They yeah, do not sponsor this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> not but if you want should, to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not opposed, 
Yeah, I think, you know, so when I, so we, we've talked about Cat a couple times tonight. Um, there is a little known second iteration of Cat called Tiger. Yes, Tiger. Tiger. That was in and of itself an acronym. I think it was called the Institute's Graduate Educational and Research Fellowship. Do you think they came up with, they were like, it has to it be has Tiger. To be cat. So we have to fit. Institute. What was it? There's something. The Institute's Graduate Education and Research Fellowship. It was oh, they tiger. definitely the wanted it to. They yeah. definitely oh, wanted it to be Tiger. The if you want it. You're going to be Iger? You're going to be Iger? Bob Iger. But so it was a pilot program, um, and it was meant to be sort of the next level cat thing. It was supposed to be the graduate version of, of that type of fellowship, and it was a year-long fellowship. And the idea was that you walked into your interview and, or sorry, if you were to be accepted, you sort of created a thesis essentially. And you spent, you spent, you know, where Cat was five months, this was 12 months. You know, we met monthly. We, we didn't have all the lab team stuff that, that you all, if you've been through Cat, understand what, what right. that is. But, but the idea was that, you know, you ask a question and you spend a year researching it. And I went into my Cat interview, I want to say, two weeks after I signed the lease here. And I walked in the door and my interview, my interviewers asked me, you know, what are you interested in studying? And I said, well, I just signed this lease. You know, I've seen Cherokee change in the last year and a half, two years. And I'm pretty sure I'm a gentrifier. So I'd love to explore and unpack what that means in the context of what I'm doing, what what it means in the context of the next guy doing it, and how what I've done through RAC and, and in the vein of arts-based community development, you know, how I might, you know, as they say in the, in the you know, environmental movement, like, how do I neutralize my, my gentrifying footprint? You know, what does that look like? You know, I got this building now, you know, I'm coming in, I'm, I've got resources that aren't necessarily characteristic of, of the neighborhood as it stands, and, um, I'm probably going to do something that involves some aspect of that. And so, you know, like, what is a conscientious gentrifier? What is a conscientious colonialist? Is that, does that exist? Can you, even, can you even negate what you do? Can you only offset it on the other side of the equation and that kind of stuff? And so, you know, I, I know that there were, there were definitely other people asking those similar questions around the time that you're talking about. I mean, that was 2012 when we started down here. By the time you were, you were down here, uh, you know, after you came back, it was it was probably those those that first wave of you know post blank space era stuff has started to take hold, and and I remember Bill Cleveland, who was a adjunct faculty in Cat. Um, That's his f***ing name. I was trying to think of his really last name. <laughs> yeah, Cleveland. Cleveland. I remember one of our Tiger weekends was in this space. We walked up and down the street, and we all looked around, and we were like this is it like we are in the gentrifying moment you know that however many year span that five year span of time mm -hmm. where things go from being one thing to being the other thing yeah where folks go from being a part of something to being excluded from something and that was it we all looked around and we, we it was almost like in that one walk up and down the street we saw five years of time elapse before our eyes and we were like wow you know like this is going to be different. Like, we know this is going to be different. 
and probably by the time you got back, it was, you know, what we had sort of perceived in this like revelatory moment of walking down the street, interacting with the neighborhood. Like that's what happened essentially. Yeah. And so, you know, if you've ever looked at like those weird stock market graphs that go up and down and up and down and up and down, you know, I think if, if you want to like reduce Cherokee to like a, a combination of variables of vacancy and rent and density and participation and, you know, what types of businesses are there, that period of time was, was that really spiky sort of time where businesses were coming in, people were capitalizing on this sort of like arts renaissance that was happening down here and then, you know, business storefronts are full but then you know then folks don't last because you were all a bunch of <laughs> idiot artists trying to figure <laughs> out how to make a business work uh, and we can't by and large um, because that doesn't fit the system you know and you know then a bunch of storefronts get vacated but but then how do you get somebody to come into those spaces at the same rates you know or that uh, the rates as they increased over time and you know it so yeah I think a lot of what you probably saw was it happened to be the sort of like uh, uh, the bookends of that period of time that you described were literally <laughs> yeah were literally <laughs> when a lot of the stuff that that you know the most volatile and evolutionary parts of Cherokee current the current history of Cherokee you know because let's be real this place existed long before we got here and long before we were alive and it'll oh be yeah. here long after we'll be here too and right you know, we don't have any ownership over this place per se. So, uh, but but if we're if we're tracking that period of time, that's when it happened. It's it's kind of wild that it's. That's kind of funny. Window, I yeah. was gone and then I came it's back not just and you. I was like, "What it the hell happened?" Yeah. That's kind of comforting. I never knew. Yeah. <laughs> it's like maybe I just didn't pay attention to anything, and then I came back and I was bored. But yeah, it's. Um, it was a weird time to be gone kind of cool coming back I, f I still feel sometimes like I'm in a different city than when I left which I, I actually like I think that's kind of in fun. a good way I yeah I think it's generally in a good way where mm. I just I don't know it's kind of exciting I don't really a lot of where I was in high school or the places that I went and stuff there it just it's also different that it's kind of cool to see it have grown and now I'm like here I am I get to discover all this stuff that I didn't know before watch it grow a little bit more I yeah feel like it's got its pros and cons it's yeah. got its pros and cons yeah. like i kind of miss i okay well i don't i don't really wish i was in st louis those years i'm being honest I'm in st. Louis now. <laughs> i think it was nice to get away but perspective is important yeah but i think it was i think it would have been interesting to see it develop as a resident of the city hmm. yeah that's versus going away and coming back. Yeah, just noticing the change because... Yeah, like it, feel, it feels probably a lot less, like if it probably feels a lot, like it happened a lot slower and with less kind of drama than it did when, if you're there every day versus Ooh, when you drama. come back. I mm -hmm. feel like to that point, it's kind of like, what's the saying, uh, uh, watching the sausage get made yeah you mm. know so like for example in north city where the, where was a, a bustling community for better or for worse uh a lot of stuff is getting boarded up which may be the case around here too no the opposite good good awesome. so but like in that process 
some things you might might not want to see, like windows getting boarded up or buildings getting boarded up and people moving out, and like maybe it's kind of ghost town for a little while, and then all of a sudden you got, uh, I don't know, a fucking Starbucks. I didn't we'll see the ebb and flow. Huh? We'll probably never see that here. <laughs> no, but. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see the uh, ebb and flow. I didn't get to see the yeah, process of it. For worse and worse. I mean, I don't, yeah. you know, there's no reason any of us want to, you know. Yeah. No, we're fine. Yeah. <laughs> Mudhouse is down the street. Sump is down the street. But this is all to say, like, mi- this is why I say it's like pros and cons. Yeah. Because, you know? like, if you leave and come back, then it's not so. Like, I feel like seeing the process of something develop may make you more angry than happy I think about that's right. I think oh, that's for right. sure, yeah. yeah I, I, I don't want to assume anything about. You know your y'all's beliefs, or you know where you fit into the social fabric, or whatever. But I feel like, if I might make a few base assumptions, that yeah, seeing the process would probably be a little troubling. Yeah, I I believe it 100%. I think I I wish I had known more about the process, just because I I feel like I again I just came back. I do because I want to know it. Yeah, but um, anyway. I would, you know, space. it's just, it's one of those things where I like having come back to a city that I feel like wasn't, is different from where I, where I originated from, from a selfish perspective, because I think it was more interesting. However, from a perspective of wanting to know the history of our city and how it's developing and what's happening in it, I do wish that I had known a little bit more. And I'm fortunate in which I have people that have lived here through that time, so I, I have a little bit of an understanding, but it still feels a little bit like, came back and like, ta-da, it's different. But yeah. I knew that there was not, that's not how, right, like it's obviously that's not how it went. Right. What's up? Question from the audience. How do you get more engaged How the question was from the audience, <laughs> the the bustling <laughs> audience. How do you f- what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> you how do you get more long. involved in your community? Yeah, was it when you come back? Yeah. If you come back, I I'm still not sure. So you start a podcast and you yeah. make people talk to you. Can I, well, can I take that one? go for it, please. Thank you. I, I think that this is not meant to be dismissive of the question, but I think that too often people feel like there's a, there's more of an overt process to engaging with your community than there actually is, you know? What did we do? I, we didn't create a business plan. We didn't create an outreach strategy. We opened the doors here, you know? Interaction with your community is a byproduct of being present in your community. Right. You know? And I think if... Um, if you take a few conscientious steps to be a mindful, like listening-oriented, collaborative member of your community, you know, I, I struggle with questions like that because I hear them a lot and I, and, and I appreciate them but because I know they come from a good place. But I think by asking that question, you create this false dichotomy of presuming that you are not your community you know, that you're some outside agent, mm-hmm. you know? I think maybe that question might be more relevant if, if a person is trying to, like, become a part of a different community than their own. But I think, you know, if you can take one basic definition of community insofar as being geographically interrelated with folks, you know, that's your community. You're there, 
you know, sit on your porch, open your front door, you know, have a conversation with a person walking by, just say hello, patronize the businesses that you're going in. It's not anything that needs to be extra, if you will. Right. I think I think it's just a matter of being in a place, you know. And I think, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of fear that f that folks have of like, will I be accepted into this community? My part of it to begin with, you know. You know what will people think of me, et cetera, et cetera? Like, am I doing something wrong? Am I being a, a colonizer? Am I being a gentrifier? Am I, you know, yeah, colonizer? Yeah. Well, we can. That's a different podcast. Shout out the Wakandan tea. Yeah, <laughs> bartender. I'm watching. <laughs> that was his creation. That's Rabu's con connection or creation, rather. Big props. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. In answer to your question, I think it's ju just be. You know, I think we all whether we're introverts or extroverts, have a, a, a safe place in our hearts where we know how to just be. At least I hope we all do, and I, and I want that for everybody. But um, I feel like the type of person asking that question perhaps does have, have a place where they, they know how to understand how to exist within themselves. And I think it's not that different existing in a geographical place. That's it. Ditto. That's <laughs> right. Boof. <laughs> uh, where do we go from there? That was such a good answer. I'm like thinking about it. Hey, thanks. So one of our audience members <laughs> was discussing living, growing up in this area. <laughs> and <laughs> it's what I'm going to say. I think that's fair. Um, and, and just coming back thinking that this is an exciting time in, in the sense that all of these little neighborhoods are kind of coming to. And, and gaining this, their own kind of cultural identity in a way. They're all becoming this individual place where you can go. And that was really exciting, but then, but then thinking, wow, if it popped up that quickly, is it gonna become like some of the other areas that have right. been co-opted, that have been gentrified, that have become more interested in the real estate that they hold as opposed to the actual kind of culture and the community that they're within. And so that was something that I had thought about kind of when I came back. It was like, wow, this stuff popped up so quickly, but what's going to happen in the next, next, like, yeah. five or ten right. years if it's already become this much of its thing? And, and so I've been watching really closely now that I'm back. Yeah. What's, what's, what's your name? Developing. My Rob. Rob. So when I was in Javen is my name. I oh, in hi. Javen. I'm Anna. Um, <laughs> I think you know Kabe. <laughs> yeah, Kabe. Have, you, have you met my man right here a couple times? A <laughs> <laughs> couple met. times. We, um, we also used to stay like in what is now, I guess, formerly known as the Shaw area. And I stay there now. So like living there now versus psh, oh, wow. living 10 there years then. ago. Wow. Two different like stints. Completely different oh, geez, dude. place. Yeah. Yeah. My parents lived on Humphrey, and they moved um, when I was uh, four, five, six, six. So four, that was five, like six. twenty years ago, and it was completely different. I mean, it was yeah. a show over there, right? And, it's, it's and now that property probably costs like crazy. It's to a point for us now. Like, so my wife, who grew up in South County, who will probably be walking in any second now, was like, "Oh, she literally just texted me." I'm walking uh, in any second now. Yeah. <laughs> You need your watch, man. Was just, man. 
I don't believe in charging a watch. That's you just know my what? I just charge it overnight. The first day I wore it, I didn't charge it, and the next morning it was dead. I was like, "What the f is this? What kind of watch yeah, dies every what day? What kind of watch dies? That sounds aggravating. I literally have to get. Would a you whole wear it at night strip. if it could? If I could, no, I would take it off. I would. I take it off at night anyway because I don't want to. It's uncomfortable, and then I have like a square on my face, so <laughs> <laughs> I would take it off anyway. So I might as well charge it. But like, yeah. Sorry, it's so a serious conversation. Sean, We're yeah. talking so about something real. My wife grew up in the South County, like Afton-ish yeah. area, and she's been living in the city for I don't know two or three years now. And she's like, "Oh, I love the city. It's so great, and it's this and that, and Whoa. this is in Shaw." And I'm like, "Wait a second. I don't. I don't think that's a fully informed. Yeah. You know, you don't opinion. see the full spectrum necessarily. Right, and that's like, that's a good thing, right? If you haven't seen that before, but if you saw one thing and you saw another thing, so like my folks grew up in North City. At the time I was a kid, it was an active community. Now it's not, shit. but thanks to the NGA and shit like that, that exa exactly. And we we had that conversation with some other folks in another episode, but um. Like now, it's going to be this whole great big thing that to none the wiser, hey, Jess, I was just talking about you. We'll cut this part out. But, uh, <laughs> oh, come Will on. we, this though? Whole, I thought we were doing minimal cutting of this episode, Well, that's, the, that's sort of the beauty of the live thing, right? You get the whole... Uh, it happens. It. It's contextual it's stay in here. It's beautiful. This might but, get cut out. This but is like... It, it, ju it just kind of depends. And the Grove was the same way. Like yep. I, You know you just stopped telling her part of the story. And Did I? You were, you were just talking about your, your experience. He was just talking about your experience. I was just talking about how you said you love the city so much, and I often tell you how, like, this wasn't always that. Right. Okay. It's interesting. I think you, you're both talking about a very interesting point, and, and I think there are folks on this street that often talk about this. It's like, you know, activating something that wasn't activated before in that way necessarily. I hate when, when, when people talk about how a neighborhood is coming up. It's just like, man, there were thousands of people living here already. What it was already coming? there. What do you mean yeah. coming up? Like just gaining visibility. Exactly. Like yeah. Stuff that phrase, getting better somewhere dark. You know, like get out of here with that. Like, so for me, it's really interesting because there is an element of that that is often under workshopped, if you will. You know, like, like that that innate fear that all like you know <laughs> god maybe we should cut this this part out but <laughs> you know that that notion that when dope things start to happen like what's going to happen in 5 years that fear that like sort of like dread that comes with like oh man like what we're doing now is going to it up later you right. know like that's such a that's such an important concept and thought to think about like you know, I, I've had this joke of like, how do you keep a place from getting gentrified? Like, go outside every night and shoot a gun in the air just so people can hear. You know what I'm saying? Oof. It's like, yeah. why? Why <laughs> is that? Like, why is that the way we think about that? Yeah. You know what I'm right. saying? Like, why? When we talk about like, how do you prevent gentrification? The answer is like, keep the hood the hood, and like that's that doesn't that shouldn't have to be the perspective that comes from that. Right. You know, like what, and, and this is, this goes right back to like our formative sort of ethos around blank space. Like what is ethical development look like? What does participatory community building look like? You know, like why is it that when something awesome happens, all of us in sort of like, like forward thinking, you know, community building places are, are all of a sudden 
faced with this fear of like, shit, if we keep doing this dope thing in five years, we're going to lose it. You know, it's going to become somebody else's. It's going to be taken by somebody else's. Like, we don't understand, A, we don't understand colonialism in a modern context, I don't think. Right. Yeah. We don't understand gentrification in any other, through any other lens than economic. We don't think of, of social gentrification and cultural gentrification. And like, we don't have any way of actively confronting that paradigm of, oh snap, like here's something like amazing that's happening and we only get to experience it for the next couple of years before it's lost or gone or stolen or bought or sold or whatever. Do you think that a big issue is, this is kind of a, a, a question and a comment for me, do you think that a big, ish, a big part of that might be kind of equitably including, not including, but like equitable, I don't know what I want to say, but like equitably boosting whatever that, so whatever the cool thing is that we have for a couple years. I think the fact that you're struggling over naming it is exactly the issue, right? Like what, like what is that look, what does that look like? Right. What does that look like? How do what, we make it a sustainable yeah, model? What, what does equity look like in, a, in an artistic and cultural and development intersection? What does that look like? You know, how do you prevent, like I was at this event and I don't, it was an Urban Land Institute event, and there was somebody there that was talking about how they develop in the city just because they want to be cool. Ugh. Okay. You know, this I is mean an affluent white person, affluent white cis male, who was like, I got into this because I looked around at where I was and didn't want to be around those people. <laughs> I wanted to be around the cool people. Okay. And it's just like that type of development mentality is codified. Like that is what people are literally investing millions of dollars into. That mm -hmm. feeling of participating in somebody else's something with their money and their participation, you know, and, and the folks and the and, and the and the sort of process that comes along with that type of participation. And, and I mean, we live in free market capitalism, man. Like what what can you do? What what stop gaps can you create? What hurdles or gates can you create that are community centered? that like that are equitable that put power in the hands of of the community that exists prior to that you know appropriation if you will like i i wish i could sit here and and say here's a good idea but i don't know i don't know i mean this whole thing this whole place is like an eight-year experiment on on like how to to participate equitably in the development of something and how to keep something accessible to the people that were here before, the people that benefit from this type of thing. Like frankly, like like working class people are my people. Like right. I don't I don't frankly necessarily expend a lot of energy thinking about how to cater to anybody else. I mean there is a notion of like we need wealth redistribution, right? Like right. We, we're like we're broke ass people trying to make it in America. Like we need outside money to spend their dollars here with us so that we can have those dollars and resources that we didn't have before. But how do we create community gatekeepers? Like we always talk about gatekeepers as this like barrier to entry, but like how do we protect ourselves and protect our integrity and and, and protect the values upon which these communities are built before they're diluted or, or drowned out entirely? I don't know, man. I don't know. I wish I knew. Asking the questions, having the conversations. I mean, it's a start. Trying. Trying. Takes a drink. Yeah, let's all take let's a drink. Let's all drink to that. <laughs> that struggle. That internal 
eternal struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a big that's, question, right? It's it's got so many components to it, and so many people that have to. It does, but it doesn't at the same time. Just because I think the way we think about things from a, a financial gain standpoint is so linear. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, Kave, to your point, when something, unfortunately, in that linear fashion, when something goes right, something goes wrong at the same time. Yeah. When in fact, zero sum game kind of thing. Exactly. When in fact, you know, there's a good chance at this point in, in time where supercomputers can fit in our pocket, we can surely figure that yeah. out. Yeah, Elon Musk said we're already cyborgs. Our, our cyborg brain is just in our pocket instead of in our in our skull. Yeah. Uh, what's her name? Amber, Amber Case. Case. Thank you. Another you should look up Amber there, Case. There she's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Like she it. was great. Um, and she's younger than Elon Musk, so she gets it. I don't know how old she is, but sure. I'll forgive Elon Musk. 30s? He's just—he's an alien or something, man. I don't he know. He's be. a weird one. I don't get it. Him and some other really rich people. I'll sleep with one eye open on that one. Well, <laughs> I like that phrase. <laughs> uh, it's a tricky one because it's about sustain. It's about sustaining that model of how if even if there's a solution somewhere in the I mean world or or some ways to combat it yeah don't get me wrong i think that there are tactics for it like right like creating community plans like you know y'all are planning aren't you a planner are you a planner you we work with planners. you work with planners <laughs> and planner, like design close enough you know <laughs> thing, yeah dutchtown south community corporation just facilitated a huge planning process for the gravoy jefferson neighborhood and it's a it's a literally a book it's a 350 page document you know there are 10 dedicated pages for arts and culture and, and things that 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 the neighborhood generated around arts and culture that that were sort of their desires, but like I mean that's one option, right? I think that you know I, I'm gonna out myself a little bit here, but I I think a more planned economy is not a bad thing when it comes to the context that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Rust Belt city, you know, disinvestment. You know, commercial district that used to have a Woolworths and a J.C. Penney and was like was the fucking proverbial shopping mall, you know, as a street that you know exists elsewhere now. Like there are there are stop gaps. You know, I don't, you know, I don't want to take away from the fact that there are actual tangible processes that exist that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I, it's it's this weird dynamic because you want the people with the power to get what you're talking about, and in a lot of ways, like you know, there's a certain certain relinquishing of resources or equity or, or equity in the real estate sense, um, you know, that is necessary to 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 like balance the scales in a sense. But yeah, I, I do think that that with I mean, you know, I'm a community organizer at heart. I can't I can't ever say that there's nothing that can be done. You know, I, I will never settle on that, like, that ultimate um, despair moment, you know. I, I believe in the power of talking to your neighbor and getting together and doing some <laughs> yeah. So in an ideal sense, where you're very involved in, in Cherokee's development and, you know, trying to make that happen as best as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. In an ideal sense, from Kaveh's perspective, where does Cherokee and blank space go over the next three to however many years? Let's say three to ten. Five Ooh. to ten. Five to ten, that's a good one. Okay. Boy. If 
push the pause button for a second. Let me think about that. No, I uh, oh, kidding, okay. kidding. <laughs> I'm not pushing anything. Yeah, no more, no I've gotten pauses. yelled at yeah, enough for not recording. Pauses, yeah. So, um, let me take the last part first, I guess. Um, blank space. So, I've spent my the majority of my adult life fighting for the accessibility of public spaces for everybody. Um, about inclusion, about democracy, and there's always been a part of me that I've had a hard time reconciling with that sort of champion mentality. And that part is the notion that history happens in small rooms. And I think there is a certain lack in St. Louis of generational, institutional um, organization of knowledge, of wisdom, of experience, of resource. You know, if you look around St. Louis, all the young people, and you know, Buddha bless them. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> put simply. Yeah. We are a city that is defined by the young generation feeling like they're the first people to do anything and the older generations that have done those things not having a way of connecting with those people and so this notion of evolution and growth is really hard to come by I mean you look at the period following Mike Brown's murder there were 30 year old organizations that were resourced following that moment uplifted in the media, uplifted in, the in public life, in public work, in those moments that you don't even hear from anymore. Mm. You know, what's it been, five years, six years, five, five years? Five, yep. Yeah. What happened? Our most deep, wise organizations that had this moment to root themselves in struggle publicly lost that opportunity. And, and I don't want to say lost, it faded. It wasn't this like clear cut, we won, we lost thing. It was just sort of like there was this moment and then it sort of faded to the credits. And right. And so I am, I think that, and, and, I, and I'm, again, to echo your point, this is my opinion. This is very specific to my experience. Sure. I don't want to speak the, to things broadly, but in my experience, uh, the low-hanging fruit is, is fighting for those public spaces. And I'm speaking specific, like very tactically. You know, this isn't like, I'm not speaking philosophically. I'm just speaking very, like from an organizer, like tactics, strategy. What are we doing? What are we doing? There are a lot of people that can fight for the democratization of public space. It's a lot harder to build those tight, like experienced networks of people that can hold the vision over generations. That's where I'm at. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm on some secret society shit. Like, what, what, do, what do our institutions that last look like? You know, when we take everything that we've learned and that we're doing, and we want to say, I want to pass this on, what does that look like? What does that look like? And in a very, in a very like straightforward sense, where do all those people gather for a drink? Where do all those people go to to party? Where do all those people go to to interact? 
from day one, something that has never changed about my vision of Blank Space, even as its identity changed over time, was what were the things that come out of the conversations that happen here? What, what tangible, measurable change happens citywide, region-wide, that started because two people came into contact with, another, with one another here? Mm. That's what I'm into. That's what I'm into. Um, again, that's just me. That's not my job hat. That's not my Cherokee hat. That's not, you know, no hats but my own. No hats at all. I don't wear hats. Um, <laughs> Cherokee, I, I don't know. That's a really tough question. I think our, our community improvement district literally just came out of a board retreat this past weekend. I got back like 24 hours ago. And um, we're really struggling. I mean, and we can get into talking about this more perhaps, but you know, we were just a business district up until a couple years ago. You know, we had every business had to pay 200 bucks a year for a special business license for Cherokee Street, and that's what, what funded any organizational efforts above and beyond what any individual business did. Uh, a few years ago, we changed that. We now have uh, an additional sales tax and additional property assessment that funnel a good amount of money into this district. and. We're all, we're all trying to adapt to, to what that means and how to spend those dollars for the benefit of the street. I, I think that um, supporting the arts, I think that making a concerted, a concerted effort to put money into arts-based community development, into connecting residents with job opportunities here, with including the surrounding neighborhood into the, the sort of business development that happens here is paramount. And, you know, we struggle with that, and I think it's very easy for us as a business district and as a, as a neighborhood and as a community improvement district and all that stuff to sort of like uh, get mired in our own struggles. But when you look at other business districts, there isn't sort of the, the democratization of our process elsewhere in the way that it happens here. And it's not perfect. I mean, you know, we're sort of a poster child for what gentrification and like a like a deep rust belt neighborhood looks like. Uh, but in a lot of ways, I think we're sort of bucking the norm in the sense that we're incorporating democratic processes where they wouldn't otherwise exist. Um, you know, I think, I think we're very clear that community development is an integral part of business development. And, and I think that that's a fact that's taken for granted. In fact, I think it's, it's something that's, that's just not really accepted truth in a lot of places um, and I'd like to think that we're having those hard conversations here um, you know what does my ideal Cherokee look like five years from now we literally ask this question literally ask this question Sunday afternoon amongst all of us and to me what that looks like hi board you'll hear me say things that I probably didn't say this week <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd love to create processes by which someone who lives in this neighborhood has, has a good business idea that serves their neighbors and has a way to make that business happen here whereas they would not have had it happen anywhere else that's what i would love to see um, i would love to see a community center on this street we don't have one be awesome that would be awesome um, i would love for children in this neighborhood not to be vilified love for the very basic characteristics 
of urban poverty to be accepted and faced head on rather than seen as this sort of disease that needs to be cured. Um, yeah, nothing major. Just small things, <laughs> like easily accomplishable goals. Nothing major. Really. <laughs> Seems simple enough to me. So what's coming up for uh, Cherokee, Blank Space, you, etc., that you might want to share and promote? Oh, great question. Um, there are a few things on Cherokee. Um, so we have an annual print bazaar uh, that is happening on December 7th. Um, I believe that it is the largest holiday market in the region. Mm. Oh, wow. In terms of the number of spaces and artisans that, are, um, that, that participate in it, uh, we have a close to 110 artists and printmakers are going to be spread out all over Cherokee Street on December 7th. It's going to be an all-day event. Um, and what's going to happen is that they will be setting up uh, their wares for sale. Um, and you can buy anything from prints, posters, photographs, um, art, um, you know, objects, etc. cetera. Uh, it's one of my favorite things that we do on the street because... It is a huge concentration of designers in one place. Um, again, I think it might be the biggest holiday design-oriented you know, retail opportunity in the region. Um, we are also we also do a second Saturday's art walk. Um, it encompasses a, a huge breadth of the street. Um, you'll see art in traditional art spaces. You'll see art in non-traditional art spaces, which is very awesome. I'm always a fan of that. Um, you know, Blank Space has shows pretty much every weekend. Uh, every Friday and Saturday we're open, if not more often than that. Uh, we're starting a new weekly Wednesday kickback, so mm -hmm. every Wednesday will be a little bit different. Um, but it will be chill, warm winter vibes. Um, yeah, and I, I, I just want to encourage folks that haven't been down to Cherokee Street to come down here uh, often constantly change here. You know, we see ourselves as sort of a frontier neighborhood uh, for experimental ideas and, you know, things come and go, but that's sort of part of our shtick, you know. Uh, we love things to be tried here. Uh, we love things to succeed here, but I think we'll always be a place where um, folks will find that so much. Thank you for having us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for Let's hosting us. Yeah. Definitely. This is fun. <laughs> we got some claps. Oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, why don't you give us some claps? Aww. Uh, he was lost in his Instagram. It's okay. We get it. Thank you so much. Cheers we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Jen.
follow blank space on the the things the yeah. facebook and the, the instagram I honestly don't use Twitter, so I don't, I don't even know. Yeah. I think the only reason I ever log into Twitter is for AIGA. <laughs> and really, that shouldn't be me anyway. But. Yeah. But uh, thank you again to Kave and Rob for hosting us. Uh, thank yeah. you for, for all of you who showed up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's thick in here. Yeah, it is. It's not. But it's, uh, it's all good. Big thank you to Big Dustin over here for helping us with the setup. Oh, yeah, we see you. Uh, 